I'm Brianna. I'm Sarah. And we are the, the Squad Ghouls. Just a couple of creepy gals that love creepy things. Mm-hmm. But oh, we, yeah. we don't love heat. Oh, yeah. We don't love that. It's too hot. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't uh, qualify um, heat as creepy. No, it's just annoying. <laughs> Why is it so hot outside? I know. Well, for all of our listeners in all different locations hopefully you are not experiencing heat like we are in california and if you are please be safe out there and stay cool it's well over 100 degrees in most places in southern california Ugh. and for our international listeners that's between like 37 and 39 degrees celsius depending it's hot it was 121 in woodland hills yesterday oh my god the armpit of the san fernando valley sorry what? woodland hills <laughs> It's terrible. Oh, man. But in happier news, I have a joke for you, Brie. I'm ready. What did the ghost teacher say to her class? <gasps> what did she say? She said, watch the board and I'll go through it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Get it? Because she's yep. a ghost. Well, I have a ghost joke, too. <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> Why couldn't the ghost see its mom and dad? I don't know. Why not? Because they were transparents. Transparents. Like you can see through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so corny. Well played. <laughs> I thought they were going to go a different direction with this, but... <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> oh, Shall boy. we get into our booze news? Yes. Booze news. Booze news. Yay. Okay. So, so first, first up... Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Hollow Fest, yes. which is replacing Fright Fest at Six Flags Great Adventure, oh. which is not here in California. Right. It's in another state. Yeah. Great um, Adventure is uh, Illinois? Probably. Close to Chicago? Uh, it is in New Jersey. Oh, whoops. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It is in Jackson Township, New Jersey. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> so instead of having Fright Fest in, obviously Southern California theme parks are probably going to be closed for another month. Although I know that they're trying to get open this month. Uh, they're uh, probably going to be closed another month as they should be. Because judging by my Facebook and Instagram feeds over mm -hmm. this holiday weekend here in the U.S., mm -hmm. none of you could be responsible enough to stay inside. So. Yep. We're probably going to go through another phase Well, I mean, one. like, can go outside, but go outside safely with a mask. Social distance. Yeah. Wear like, masks. let's not all jam-pack ourselves at the beach. There was one person in particular that I almost unfriended because I watched this person go to a housewarming party with... There were at least 30 different people in this person's pictures. And they were all, like, all scrunched together and taking selfies and stuff. I'm like, guys... Come on. Oh my god. And no masks. No masks. No masks. Come on. Be safe. Make good choices. Please. Um so anyway, yes. Uh most theme parks are still going to be closed here in in California for the foreseeable future because we can't be responsible. Right. But uh in, at Six Flags Great Adventure, they are replacing the artist formerly known as Fright Fest with Hollow Fest. Oh. Presented by Snickers. Plug. No, we're not sponsored by Snickers, but Hollow Fest is. Stickers. Snickers. Snickers. <laughs> Snickers. More coffee. 
<laughs> but we do have stickers, though. We have stickers <laughs> on our website, merch store. Plug. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um. So they are. It's going to be running from September 18th through November 1st on weekends, plus October 12th. Um. So the park's going to be open from 12 to 10, and then. Uh, from 5 p.m. with various closing times on Friday evenings. So uh, after 6 o'clock, it's actually going to turn into quote-unquote Holofest, and there will be designated outdoor scare zones and outdoor things that you can go to. There will also be indoor seated spooky happenings, but Ooh. everyone will be uh, socially distanced. They'll be at least six feet apart. So I'm assuming that they're going to rope off all of the various areas. You have to wear a mask that covers both your mouth and your nose. Good. And your nose. Yes. For those of you that just cover your mouth and your nose. Everything. A whole enchilada. Um <laughs> Because enchiladas are delicious. Mm-hmm. So uh, you'll have to wear a mask. And all scare actors will also be wearing masks. And there will no longer be the walkthrough mazes that there have been in years past. But there will still be indoor seated entertainment. And there will be outdoor entertainment. Amazing. And some scare zones. They will also be sanitizing restraints, rides, handrails, dining, and restroom facilities on the regular. Um, there will also be increased hand washing and alcohol-based hand sanitizer stations okay. throughout the park. So, you can have fun. All right. Go New Jersey. I like this. You could be responsible. We can't. <laughs> Come on, California. Get it together. I'm going to need you to get your life together. Yep. <laughs> Seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, that's good news to hear. Very, very excited. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a new trailer for Come Play. Mm-hmm. Have you watched it? I did. Um, it basically looks like the movie Z. Yes. That Shutter came out with. Mm-hmm. But with a tablet, with an iPad. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be cool. I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. <laughs> Uh, it's written and directed by a Jacob Chase, mm-hmm. and in Complay, an indestructible monster named Larry targets a family by manifesting itself via their mobile devices, including tablets and smartphones. Yeah, and it's based on Chase's 2017 short film, Larry. Mm. So, yay. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Indeed. And a couple more things. So Waxwork Records is announcing the debut vinyl release of Rob Zombie's Halloween original motion picture soundtrack. So Ooh. this was, re- uh, you know, obviously the the Halloween Rob Zombie version was released back in 2007. Right. Um, and it's a reimagining, a much more gory reimagining of the original John Carpenter story. Yes. Um, that was written and directed and produced by Rob Zombie. So if you dug the soundtrack, it will be available on vinyl. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nothing like good vinyl. Right. And this one I'm really excited about. So I think every horror fan is familiar with AMC's Fear Fest. Um, So it's obviously coming back for this year. And we have learned that this year's celebration will be supersized to last the entire month of (gasps) October. Yay. Mm -hmm. Instead of just starting on October 13th, which I disagree with. It should have started September 1st, but I digress. So uh, in prior years, it started October 13th. This year, it's going to go the entire month. And a couple of films have been released on the schedule. And so far, we've got From Dusk Till Dawn, 
A Nightmare on Elm Street, Bride of Chucky, Halloween, Halloween 4 and Halloween 5. I am assuming that Halloween 2 and 3, they don't have the licensing for, thus the jump. Okay. Um, or they're, they just haven't been released yet. Um, and then also Amityville Horror, People Under Steer Seat of Chucky, and then Halloween Resurrection, Ooh. Halloween 6, and Amityville 2. And all of the various Hellraiser movies. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. So looking good so far. Amazing. And also, I wanted to bring up just because I, well, I know we've put it on our Instagram and our Facebook, but Freeform is doing their usual uh, 31 Nights of Halloween event, but it's going to be on the road. Mm-hmm. And it's literally called Halloween Road. Ooh. And tickets will be released um, on September 12th at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Say that one more time. September 12th, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. <laughs> Are you adding it to your calendar? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and basically, it's going to be uh, just like how everybody else is doing the drive through experience. Um, and I like the little tagline they have on there. It says, because even ghosts need to stay socially distant. I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> so it's going to be, you know, like I said, a whole outdoor immersive experience all behind the wheel of your car. Um, drive through, if you dare, <laughs> the worlds of Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, Hocus Pocus, and other spooktacular surprises filled with games, performances, and prizes. Oh, yay. So be on the lookout on September 12th, which by the time this comes out, Tickets will be released, right? <laughs> so, yes. hopefully by the time you're listening to this, you have already purchased your tickets. If not, we're real sorry. Yeah. But we will post reminders on our Instagram yes, account. we'll do. And our Facebook. Yeah. And just continuing on sharing some wonderful organizations to follow. Um, I found one called Project Corazon. I just like the name of it, too. Project Heart. <laughs> yes, Project Heart. <Art. laughs> um, but the Lawyers for Good Government Foundation established uh, the Project Corazon Travel Fund in June 2018, um, a month after the New York Times dropped its report on the Trump administration. Trump, pff, can't even say his name, but I don't need to. <laughs> it's fine. 45. <laughs> right. <laughs> dropped its report on the Trump administration's policy for separating migrant uh families at the border and since then the fund has sent 37 volunteer lawyers and law students to what it calls the front lines of the humanitarian crisis caused by um, inhumane immigration policies so they can provide free legal services to migrants seeking asylum uh, donations to the fund help cover the the cost of flights hotels rental cars and meals for volunteer uh, attorneys working pro bono with migrants uh, in refugee camps and remote detention centers. Um, they basically airfare or one week stay at a, um, economical hotel for one volunteer, uh, attorney costs an average of $500. Um, you know, however, those who are eager to, uh, donate, but short on cash can donate their airline miles instead, which is great. Oh, you can yeah. donate your airline miles? You can. Oh, I should do that because I've got so many from all the traveling well, I did there for you work. Go. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to, I don't know if I have any because I haven't done that much travel, <laughs> but I definitely would like to, you know, I just wanted to highlight this one because I think it's, you know, it's still something that is going on. 
you know, right now. I got I got lots still, of delta points. Well, there you go. I got lots of they delta points get, <laughs> to get these good lawyers, these good people, these attorneys who are willing to go over there and work pro bono to you know help them get out of these detention centers. So, but yeah, so please go check out Project Corazon, and um, they have a website and also um, Instagram and a Facebook. Right on. Yeah. So this week, we are, um, this week, sorry, today, <laughs> um, we are talking about cryptids. Cryptids and creepies. I know we mentioned like a few of them when we were uh, talking about urban legends, but the uh, today we decided we we're going to dive deep in into a few of them. And yeah. Well, we're very excited. Yes. <laughs> um, so... Should I, should I start or you want to start? Um, I can start. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So we each picked two cryptids this week that we wanted to give a little bit of backstory on because um, for those that also have sleep problems like the rest of us, <laughs> um, these are really fun things to research. That, and know. also I have so many notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, for perspective, usually when we're making notes in our Google Doc when we record... It's usually like between 12 to 14 pages. <laughs> Brie, I don't know what the hell you were doing, but it's 36. <laughs> and I had a lot, but I didn't put 36 pages in there. Thank you, Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> so we're going to truncate some of those. Yes, So that we the are. episode isn't three hours long. Yes. Um, <laughs> but we tried to pick some cryptids from different parts of the world because we've got listeners in different parts of the world exactly um and actually i just checked our podbean site we now have listeners in spain <gasps> yay oh that's amazing España. We hi will, spain we will come visit you someday you're yes. on our list oh yeah i've got um, a long travel list oh yeah <laughs> um but we picked a couple different ones from different parts of the country the first one that i picked is from the home of Six Flags Great Adventure. Oh. It's the Jersey Devil. <laughs> Speaking of. <laughs> uh-huh. So, fun fact, I didn't know this. In 1938, the Jersey Devil was designated as the country's only state demon. Huh. Yeah, I didn't Interesting. know that. Uh-huh. Um, so, I actually pulled a bunch of my research from Atlas Obscuria and uh, Weird New Jersey, so, shout out to Word New Jersey, and I actually uh, took some of the stories that were on there, and we'll we'll read through those. Oh, nice. Um, just real quick. There are a bunch of them, yeah. because there have been so many sightings, <laughs> but I'm, I picked three to keep it reasonable. Again, that's why my notes are Pop, so cup. long. So many stories. So many sightings. <laughs> so, we'll, we'll keep it to a, a reasonable length and just pick a couple of them. So, for those that don't know, and you haven't had a chance to Google this yet... The Jersey Devil is described as a kangaroo-like creature with the face of a horse, the head of a dog, oh, a doggie, um, bat-like wings, yay, bats, I love bats, um, with horns and a tail. That's why you picked this one. Yeah, because it's like <laughs> most of my favorite things. Right. All in one. Amazing. Except kangaroos, my goodness. They're brutal. Have you seen the, the videos of kangaroos punching people? Yes. The, and kangaroos got pecs. Yeah, they do. Like crazy. <laughs> They're incredibly strong. They got nothing on the rock. Or the, the rock's got nothing on kangaroos, I should say. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so for more than 250 years, this creature's been sighted and is said to prowl through the marches, marches, marshes of South New Jersey and emerges periodically to rampage through towns and cities. 
Mm. crazy town. So there have been countless stories that have documented the Jersey Devil's various escapades between raiding chicken coops and farms, destroying crops, and killing animals. Oh. Um, so the, the Jersey Devil's presence has been... Presidents. Hold on. I need a sip of coffee. <laughs> Can we please not edit this out? We aren't. <clears throat> Excellent. And I just choked on it. That sums up my morning. Um, all right. So the Jersey Devil's presence has been seen and felt by many in at least 50 different towns when it emerges from its natural air in the Pinelands uh, and then wanders throughout southern New Jersey, sometimes intriguing and sometimes terrorizing residents. So there have actually been many um, attempts to apprehend the Jersey Devil, but to no avail. And actually, as much as $100,000 was offered for the capture of the Jersey Devil, dead or alive. Oh. Also, the Jersey Devil lent its name to the local hockey team. Oh, that's right. The Jersey Devils. Ah. Uh-huh. I was um, wondering where that came from. Now you know. Yeah. Amazing. It's the country's only state demon. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I'm sure the Warrens were pissed about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about the legend behind the Jersey Devil. So legend has it that in 1735, a Pines resident known as Mother Leeds found herself pregnant for the 13th time. That sounds awful. That That's a lot of children. That sounds awful awful why do you want that many children i mean i understand that back then like one in 1735 not many of your children lived very long okay because disease right and such um and you know lack of modern medicine to care for injuries and such so i understand the one you're most of your children well not most of that's not fair some of your children probably wouldn't make it to adulthood and two i understand that agriculture played a much larger role in society in the country so you need a large batches of tiny humans to eventually take care of the farm um so 1735 13 kids again i say sounds terrible um but you know to each their own right so uh leeds is actually the name of one of new jersey's earliest settlers and many descendants of the leeds family can still be found throughout new jersey to this day Interesting note. So Mother Leeds was not living a wealthy lifestyle by any means. Uh, her husband was apparently a drunk who made very few efforts to provide for his wife and 12 children. Reaching the point of absolute exasperation upon learning of the 13th pregnancy, she raised her hands to the heaven and, procro- and proclaimed, let it be the devil. Oh. So fast forward, Mother Leeds went into labor a few months later. later. And on a stormy night, no no longer mindful of the curse that she uttered uh, regarding the unborn child, her children and husband all huddled together in one room at the Leeds Point home, and local midwives were gathered to also deliver the baby. And by all accounts, the birth went routinely and was normal, and the 13th Leeds child was a seemingly normal baby boy. However, the plot thickens. But wait, Ron, there's more. (laughs) Within minutes, Mother Leeds' unholy wish 
of months before began to come to fruition. So the baby, it's said that the baby started to change and metamorphosized right before her very eyes. And within moments, it transformed into from a beautiful newborn baby to a hideous creature unlike anything the world had ever seen. Oh. Yep. And the wailing infant began growing at an incredible rate. It spouted horns from the top of its head and talon-like claws tore through the tips of its fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, leathery bat wings. amazing. I, I mean, the story is so ridiculous. <laughs> like, because I, I, I know of the Jersey Devil, and I have obviously looked it up and Googled it and seen all the sightings and the hoof part, the hoof prints and all that yeah. business. But I had not heard this story, and I'm like, come on. <laughs> Come on. This is amazing. Oh, it gets better. Um, So then leathery bat-like wings unfurled from its back and hair and feathers sprouted all over the child's body. Its eyes began glowing bright red as they grew larger in the monster's gnarled and snarling face. Uh, And then the creature ended up attacking its own mother, killing her, then turned its attention to the rest of the horrified onlookers who witnessed its transformation it then flew at them clawing and biting and voicing unearthly shrieks the entire time tore through it tore through the midwives limb from limb maiming some and killing others oh my uh the monster then knocked down the door next to the room where its own father and siblings cowered in fear and attacked them all killing as many as it could those who survived to tell the tale then watched in horror as it sprinted to the chimney and flew up destroying it on the way out and leaving a pile of rubble in its wake oh mm-hmm. um Amazing. so then uh it made good on its escape into the darkness and desolation of the Pine Barrens, where it has lived ever since. And to this day, the creature, known varyingly as the Leeds Devil and the Jersey Devil, claims the pines as its own and terrorizes any who are unfortunate enough to encounter it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there was a movie that we actually watched. Gerbil, what was that movie that we watched with um, the guy who played Bilbo from The Hobbit? We'll have to look it up and post it on our Instagram. But we watched yes. this really great uh, kind of horror anthology movie that had Martin. I don't recall his last name. But I know he, who you're talking he about. He plays though. Bilbo Baggins yes. in the new Hobbit movies. Um, and it's little little anthologies that are designed to make this um, skeptic, this like ghost hunter slash skeptic believe. And then there's one story where this kid's going out through uh, the forest in outside of london and obviously it's london not new jersey but it was very reminiscent of the jersey devil because the jersey devil or the, this demon starts attacking the car and so forth and i looked at jared and said, this is some jersey devil shit right here <laughs> mm-hmm. accurate <laughs> um so in the 18th and 19th century the jersey devil was spotted sporadically throughout the pine barrens region frightening local residents and any of those brave enough to traverse through the vast underdeveloped expanses of new jersey's southern reaches unearthly whales have often been reported emanating from the dark forests and swampy bogs and the slaughter of domesticated animals has been invariably attributed to the phantom of the pines and over the years the legend has grown occasionally even overstepping the boundaries of the rural pine barrens to haunt local towns and cities um so the most infinite infamous of these incidents actually occurred um the week of january 16th to the 23rd 1909 
Early in the week, reports stating that are starting started emerging from all across Delaware Valley and that strange tracks were being found in the snow. So this is a lot of um, if you Google, you know, Jersey Devil and so forth and you mm-hmm. look at an image search, you'll actually see lots of the footprints. Um, so they're finding all of these weird footprints that go over and under fences and through fields and backyards and across the rooftops of houses. And they've even been reported in large cities such as Camden and Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Jersey Devil's getting around. Mm -hmm, Right. I mean, got big old wings. So yeah, right. (laughs) Let's go torment somebody else. Um, So then panic started to spread and, you know, all this fear started to form in multiple towns um, and intrigue started to grow even greater when it was reported that bloodhounds actually refused to identify the unidentified creature's trail. Even the dogs are like, "Mm -mm. (laughs) trust your pets. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Schools actually closed or suffered low attendance throughout lower New Jersey and Philadelphia, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, mills in the Pine Barrens were forced to close when workers refused to leave their homes and travel through the woods to get to their jobs. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? (laughs) That's funny. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So eyewitnesses have spotted the Jersey Devil in Camden and Bristol, Pennsylvania. Um, And both cities, police fired on it, but didn't manage to bring it down. Some bad aim. Yeah. Um, and then a few, day, a few days later, it reappeared in Camden um, and it tacked a late night meeting of a social club and then flew away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me fight you and then I'm going to fly away. Yeah. So this is all happening during this one week in January of 1909. This is crazy. I know. And then um, earlier that day, it appeared in Haddon Heights, terrorizing a trolley car full of passengers before it flew away. Um, and witnesses actually claimed that it looked like a giant flying kangaroo. <laughs> and another trolley car of people saw it in Burlington where it scurried across the tracks in front of their car. Um, and it's been all over roof houses and people have um, also described it as looking ostrich like um, it's I mean, it's crazy. There have been so many eyewitness accounts of it. Um, and they found it again later that week back in Camden and a local woman, ac- <laughs> this one's sad, a local woman actually found it attempting to eat her dog. Oh, yeah. Why you guys got to go after the dog? I know. Let the dog live. Peanut's looking at us like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she rolls back over. Yeah. And then back to sleep. <laughs> um, but she hit it with a broomstick, broomstick and it flew away. Oh, mm-hmm. that's um, funny. So, yeah. Everybody's trying to shoot at it. And they they miss, and then she hits it with a broomstick, and then it flies away. Right. <laughs> um, and it's actually gotten its own film as well. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I feel we have to watch this. I know, me too. Um, there are still many, however, who believe that the Jersey Devil is very real and a very dangerous creature. Um, there have been a constant stream of reports over the years of devil encounters. Um, most people uh, report finding strange, unidentifiable tracks in soil in desolate areas of the Pine Barrens. Some reports claim that the footprints are of a strange bird, and others say that they closely resemble hoof prints. Hmm. Although, whatever it is, it walks on apparently just two hind legs so a little little bird like okay like could be interesting i like Um, it's kangaroo but with hooves right weird got kangaroo pecs (laughs) that's all you need (laughs) oh boy Uh (laughs) uh-huh um and while they are less frequent there are still occasional reports of people who see more than just tracks and actually catch a glimpse of the old jersey devil himself 
Um, he's most commonly described as having the body of a kangaroo, as we talked about, um, but also head of a dog that we talked about. But some people say the face of a horse, um, antler similar to a deer, which actually sounds more like a jackalope to me. Um, <laughs> jackalope. Have you seen jackalopes? They're so cute. Yes. They're my, they're my favorite little <laughs> cryptid. They're like horned bunnies. <laughs> Um, and then other people say that it's actually got a tail that's got that's forked, like the like the actual devil. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. cute. And others say that they have seen claws. Yeah, it's it's super fun, super creepy. Um, I feel like after we finish this episode, we need to make our own drawings of our creatures and then post them. I did not go to art school. I know that's why this is going to be fun. <laughs> Just, but I'm saying like we draw based off descriptions from people and make our own assumptions what they look like. I'm just saying, I think it could be fun. Can I, um, can I maybe cut mine like in with little pieces of... That's totally fine. Yeah. Oh, Gerbil found the movie that I was talking about. It's Ghost Stories. Oh. Which came out, thanks Gerbil, in 2017. Yes, I've seen that one. It was so good. Yeah, I really like that one. It was really, really, really good. And his name's Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> um, so a couple of, I'll just read a couple of quick stories so that we don't go um, super long. But this one was posted on Weird New Jersey by a gal named Mary Christensen. And it's called Driving by the Devil in the Pale Moonlight. <laughs> So she said, this has haunted me since it happened in 1972. I was a senior uh, at what was then Glassboro State College. I had heard about the Jersey Devil when I came to South Jersey, but being from North Jersey, which is a completely different world, I thought I was far too sophisticated to believe in such humbuggery. Oh my God, I'm going to use that word forever. Humbuggery. Um, one winter night, I was driving from Glassboro from Blackwood on Green Tree Road. At the time, the road was flanked by orchards and farms. There were few houses and there was hardly any development. I was completely sober and awake when I caught a glimpse of something in my rearview mirror. Curious as to what it could have been, I slowed down to take a gander. It was dark out, but moon lit it enough that I had no trouble at all discerning the upright figure of a creature crossing the road from one side to the other, roughly 25 feet behind my car. The figure stood taller than a man by far and had thick haunches, similar to a goat's, supporting its nearly human-looking torso and huge woolly head. It moved heavily and didn't seem disturbed by my being there. I didn't linger long enough to see much more. I hit the gas and flew to the Mansion Park apartments in the borough. So petrified was I that I slept the rest of the night in the car, unwilling to get out in the same darkness that had introduced me to the Jersey Devil. Never again from that day have I ridden on Green Tree Road, day or night. That I haven't gotten the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it on that winter night so long ago. Wow. So she actually saw it. Um, And then I'll just read one more. I won't read the third one. So this one's called Don't Ever Camp in the Pine Barrens Alone. I don't camp anyway, so. No, I, I, (laughs) no shade. This is why I don't camp. No, no, absolutely no shade to anybody that likes to camp. I know that it's a big thing and this is 100% my weirdness for not liking it. Mm -hmm. I don't work so hard and try to make money so that I can pay to go pretend to be homeless somewhere else. Yep. But no disrespect to anyone that likes it. It's just not for me. Yeah. So this one's called Don't Ever Camp in the Pine Barrens Alone. And this one is from a gentleman named Keith. 
So he said, I had spent a lot of time in the Pine Barrens when I was growing up in New Jersey, and I had my share of strange experiences. When I was 13, I went camping alone near Hampton Furnace. Don't know where that is. I had a bow with me and I went looking for a <laughs> I went looking for a rabbit dinner. I'm sorry, I'm vegan. Um, about an hour before sundown, something started following me back in the trees. It tailed me up to my camp and circled while I cooked my dinner. This kept up until about two hours after dark. And let me tell you, it was one dark night. I finally decided that my visitor had moved on and I crawled up to my tent when I just started to calm down. I heard a foot stomp down right behind my tent. I got all set to jump out when this thing, whatever it was, started screaming. I would compare the volume of the screen to a large truck's horn. That's really loud. Gosh. Um, I couldn't decide what to do. I had my bow and knife, but they didn't seem like much. After several blasts, it just stopped. I didn't hear a sound except for my heart for about an hour. I was sure that if I stuck my head out of that tent, I'd lose it. In the morning, I could find no tracks in the pine needles. To this day, I still don't like sleeping in tents. I'd rather take my chances in the open. Keith. All right. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. And that is the legend of the Jersey Devil. Oof. Well, I'm not camping in New Jersey anytime soon. Mm Mm-mm. So that's nope, 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 nope. (laughs) And um, well, so I will get into, I don't know why I picked this one, but probably because it's the most popular one. And it's the one I've always been, I guess, kind of interested in diving a little deep. I probably dived a little bit too deep. (laughs) So this will be the condensed version (laughs) of uh, the Loch Ness Monster. (laughs) Um, or, or as some people call it, Nessie. No, Nessie. Or as uh, Jacob called <laughs> Bella's baby in Twilight. <laughs> what? Yeah, you don't remember that part? I've never seen any of the Twilight oh, you movies haven't? ever. No. Oh. Vampires don't glitter. Oh, okay. And then just me. Basically, she had a baby. It had a terrible name. The baby's name was Renesmee. What the f- <laughs> kind of name is that? <laughs> And Jacob, who is a uh, wolf, imprinted on her, meaning, like, you know, he's bound to her, a baby, basically. He can't help it. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. (laughs) It gets gets worse. That sounds... (laughs) So, (laughs) instead of calling the baby by her original name, he shortened it to Nessie. Which Why in did turn, no one call the FBI when this <laughs> adult person is quote unquote imprinting on a baby? <laughs> That's seriously some life in prison without parole so, nonsense. So uh, newly made vampire uh, Bella obviously is already pissed because he imprinted on her baby, but also because he calls her Nessie, which is the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> you need Jesus. That is creepy. I didn't know you'd never seen the movie. So pretty much what I just said, you're just like, what are you talking about? Somebody told me that the vampires glitter in the sun. And I'm like, no, I can't. (laughs) That's not true. They turn to dust. Yes. That's the real vampire way. My vampires don't glitter. But anyway, but that's what happened. Okay. Gotcha. But that was like the very last movie. Okay. So it's like the end. So it's fine. Okay. Anyway. So, getting back to the Loch Ness Monster, or Nessie, not um, 
Twilight. Um, <laughs> um, probably one of the, you know, biggest cryptids out there. And there's like a million stories out there and, and sightings, you know, people have seen the Loch Ness Monster. But um, it is a Scottish uh, folklore. So all of our friends in Scotland. We have some. Yes, th- this, this is for you. And I'm sure you've got, you've probably heard stories of your own, but like I said, I'm just going to touch on a few because I definitely went down the rabbit hole um, on this one. <laughs> um, but the uh, the Loch Ness monster is a phenomenon without a uh, biological basis, explaining sightings as hoaxes, wishful thinking, and misidentification of mundane objects. And I'll get into those later. It's actually really funny. Mundane objects. Yes. Like, like there, there was somebody thought that um, a tree was the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so the first modern discussion of a sighting of a strange creature in the Loch uh, may have been in the 1870s when Dee McKenzie claimed to have seen something wriggling and churning up the water. Uh, this account was not published until 1934. Um Research uh, indicates that several newspapers did publish items about a creature in the lock well before uh, 1934. Um, the The best known article of the first that first attracted a great deal of attention about the Loch Ness monster was published in uh, May second, 1933, in the Inverness Courier about a large beast or well-like fish. Uh, the article was by Alex Campbell. Um, water water bailiff for Loch Ness and a part-time journalist and uh, discussed the sighting by um, Aldi McKay of an enormous creature with the body of a whale rolling in the water in the loch while she and her husband John were driving on the A82. I'm assuming that is yeah, all a the, highway. All the highways in uh, <laughs> all, the, all the highways at least in, in the UK, Scotland, um, Ireland, they're all uh, lettered and numbered. So, like, okay. um, I think Ireland had a lot of M freeways, if I remember correctly. Okay. I was mostly just trying to freak yeah. out, trying to drive on the proper side of the road. <laughs> I, fi- I figured that's what it was. I'm like, what are they talking about? You but are like, correct. It but is this a highway. Is, okay, but this is why I need to go. Highway, motorway, <laughs> international friends. Do you call it a, a highway, a motorway, a motorway, a freeway? Let us know. Because we Expressway. Expressway. Ooh, that one's good. Something. Let us know what it's called. Turnpike. Or, or turnpike. Oh, there we go. Thanks, Jared. <laughs> um, but also, the Courier in 2017 published experts from the Campbell article, which had been titled Strange Spectacle in Loch Ness. So there's all these different articles out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but on uh, so on August 4th, 1933, the Courier published a report of another alleged sighting. This one was claimed by Londoner George Spicer. Not not the guy. Oh, wait, no, his name wasn't George, but his last name was Spicer. <laughs> not the guy from the Trump administration. John Spicer? Yeah, there we go. I don't uh, know if they're related. That but... was like press secretary number one. Right. We're on like three or four now. Oh, okay. Right? I think we're on I don't know if there's four. any relation there, though. <laughs> it made I don't me think know. about it, though. <laughs> But uh, he uh, claimed to have seen the head. Oh, he was the head of a firm of tailors. Um, Several weeks earlier, while they were driving around the lock, he and his wife saw the nearest approach to a dragon or prehistoric... Prehistoric? (laughs) Yes, prehistoric animal that 
I have ever seen in my life. Uh, trundling across the road toward the lock with an animal in its mouth. So, yeah, so, you know, came out, <laughs> had a little bite and then got back into the water. Um, <laughs> he described it as having a long neck, which moved up, up and down in the manner of, of a scenic railway. That's how he described it. <laughs> um, and he said the body was fairly big with a high back, but if there were any feet, uh, they, they must have been the web kind. And as for a tail, I cannot say, as it moved so rapidly, and when I got to the spot, it had probably disappeared into the lock. So a lot of the sightings are pretty much like this. They just see this creature with a really long neck, kind of a whale-like body, and it either will poke his head out, or they've seen it kind of walking across, like getting back into the lock. This also sounds like Tahoe Tessie. Yeah. They're very close. <laughs> Nessie? Tessie? I like that. Essie? I don't know. <laughs> but um, letters begin uh, appearing in the courier, often anonymously claiming land or water sightings by the writer, their family or acquaintances, or um, remembered stories. The accounts reach the media, which described a monster fish, sea serpent, or dragon, and eventually settled on, they settled on the Loch Ness Monster. So... Yeah, that's where all these... And of course, there's different, you know, photographs and drawings and just, you know, different things that they have um, published in this paper and uh, from all the stories that, you know, people have experienced. But I'll get into a little bit of them because there are so many. Lots and And I deleted a lot. <laughs> At least I tried, but I'm just going to try to get through these really quick. Um, so the first one I mentioned... Um, by D. McKenzie, and that was, uh, they either say it was 1871 or 1872, but this was in um, October. D. McKenzie reportedly saw an object resembling a log or a upturned boat uh, wriggling and churning the water. The object moved slowly at first and then disappearing at a faster speed. Uh, McKenzie sent his story in a letter to Rupert Gould in 1934, shortly after popular interest in the monster uh, increased then later um alexander mcdonald uh, in 1888 um he was a, he's a mason he sighted a large stubbly legged creature surfacing from the lock and propelling itself within 50 yards of the shore where uh mcdonald stood mcdonald reported his sighting to lock uh, to loch ness water bailiff alex campbell and described the creature as looking like a salamander who but, I mean, that salamanders are small. It, I've always imagined uh, Nessie to be like a pleosaur. I mentioned that later. Oh. <laughs> you are correct, though. Sorry. <laughs> you are correct for I'm mentioning that, that, I'm though. I'm that person who told everyone that Iron Man died at the end of Endgame. <laughs> and if you haven't seen Endgame by now, you had a year and a half. I'm not sorry. <laughs> It's on Disney Plus. Right. It's like, like come it's on. It's been a year and a half. Get it together. <laughs> it, it, you know what? And I'm sure you've probably already seen it in the interweb somewhere that that's what happened. Uh -huh. But anyway. <laughs> um, but also one of the, um, I guess I would say the most popular stories is a story by George Spicer, uh, which was in 1933. And, uh, so George Spicer saw the monster with his his wife and put it this like huge description. Um, 
they basically said that it had a large body about four feet high and 25 feet uh, and a long, wavy, narrow neck, slightly thicker than an elephant's trunk, and as long as uh, 10 to 12 uh, foot uh, w- width of the road. Um, they saw no limbs. It lurched across the road toward the lock 20 yards away, leaving a trail of broken undergrowth uh, in its wake. Um, it, it has been claimed that sightings of the monster increased after a road was built along the lock in early 1933, bringing workers and tourists to, to the formerly isolated area. Um, however, it described that the myth of this, of the lonely lock, (laughs) um, it was, uh, far from isolated before then due to the construction of the, uh, Caledonian, uh, canal. Um, in the 1930s, the existing road by the side of the lock was given a serious upgrade. Um, so there's just been a lot of action over there. Then in, uh, in 1933, another sighting by Hugh Gray, he actually took a photograph. And this is... Oh, is that the, the yep, iconic photograph? It is. So and I'm sure when you look, when you search up Loch Ness Monster, you see this really fuzzy photograph, black and white. This picture was taken by Hugh Gray. Mm. Yeah. Um, but funny story, though. The original negative was lost. Um, however, in 1963, Maurice Burton came into possession of two lantern slides, uh, contact positives from the original negative. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> um, and then just kind of going down a little bit more, cause I'm, like I said, there's just, there's so many. There's a lot. <laughs> um, in, uh, 1954, um, there were sonar readings, um, in December 1954, sonar readings were taken by the fishing boat, the rival, rival the third. Its crew noted a large object, large object, keeping pace with the vessel at a depth of uh, 146 meters. It was detected for 800 meters before contact was lost and regained. And then previous sonar's attempts were inconclusive or negative. Then in uh, 19. In the 1955, Peter McNabb at the the Urquat wait oops sorry Urquat Castle I murdered that name I apologize <laughs> um, took a photograph that depicted two long black humps in the water so there's another picture and then in 1960, uh, aeronautical uh, engineer Tim dinsdale uh, filmed a hump that left a wake crossing uh, loch ness in 1960 uh dinsdale who reported had the sighting on his final day of search described it as a reddish with a a blotch on its side he said that when he mounted his camera the object began to move and he shot uh, 40 feet of film and they said the object was probably just animals they don't you know they were just really skeptical about the the whole hump. They didn't, you know, really believe that this was the the Loch Ness monster at all. Um, then in uh, two thousand seven, uh, fifty year fifty five year old uh, laboratory technician Gordon Holmes videotaped what he said was this jet black thing about fourteen meters long, moving fairly fast in the water. Uh, and then, uh, so, and then uh, BBC uh, Scotland broadcasted the video on uh, May uh, 29th, 
in 2007. So everybody saw this video, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then also there was another photograph uh, by George Edwards in 2011 and showing Nessie. And you can see, uh, basically, it was like right alongside of a boat and you can see the humps and, and you can see all these people like trying to take shots of the Loch Ness Monster. And then also, uh, Apple Maps had a photograph in 2014, which was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, on April 19, 2014, it was reported that a satellite image on Apple Maps showed what appeared to be a large creature just below the surface of Loch Ness. Creepy. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then, again, with these, like, satellite pictures, Google Street View. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> They um, took a shot and it was just the um, it, it was c commemorating the uh, the 81st anniversary of the surgeon's photograph uh, with a, a Google doodle. <laughs> mm. And it added the uh, the street view in there and just, you know, kind of collabing them. But that was in 2015. So there's just a few stories about the Loch Ness. And then there was as these reports came in and sightings, then there began all these searches and these groups like put together these big teams to actually find the Loch Ness monster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, so the, the the biggest one is the the Loch Ness phenomena investigation bureau. <laughs> I'm like I can't believe there's like a name for this. <laughs> and that was a uh, 1962 to 1972. Mm -hmm. um, it was a UK based society formed in in 1962 by Norman Collins. Uh, politician David James, Peter Scott, and Constance White to study Loch Ness to identify the creature known as the Loch Ness Monster or determine the causes of reports of it. So they're just, you know, trying to really get in there and figure out what the heck is, what what is everybody seeing? <laughs> mm. So they're going through there. And then uh, there was also uh, sonar studies in 1967 to 1968 and then um another big one was uh the robert ryan study um in 1972 a group of researchers from the academy of applied science led uh, robert h ryan's and led by robert h ryan sorry conducted a search for the monster involving sonar examination of the lock depths for unusual activity mm. um yeah <laughs> Um, and they, with that, they did some underwater uh, photos and which they believe that they could see that, yes, there was some kind of like monster-like creature down there somewhere. But again, and this is where they saw that it, the two objects that they got the pictures of was the like a pleosaur-like animal. A pleosaur. A pleosaur. A water dinosaur. It's just so cute. <clears throat> but <laughs> um also later um oh in uh, 2003 the the bbc actually sponsored a search of the lock using 600 sonar beams and satellite tracking the search had sufficient uh resolution to identify a a small buoy <laughs> no animal of substantial size was found and um, despite their, you know, reported hopes, the scientists involved admitted that this proved the Loch Ness Monster was a myth. Um, and then searching for the Loch Ness Monster aired on BBC One. 
Um, and then also, and in, in just recently in 2018, they did a, um, a DNA survey. Mm. So they're still trying to find this. They're trying to find Nessie. <laughs> um, but there has been tons of misidentifications of the Loch Ness Monster. Um, uh, eels. Uh, elephants. I don't know how they confuse the Loch Ness what monster with an elephant. Creature. <laughs> uh, a Greenland shark, a Wells catfish, um, and then um, you know, and then mostly they've um, thought people were maybe finding an, a, a pleosaur, which is like one of the biggest things that they think that's the Loch Ness monster. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's just. Anyway, but there's another one, also um, a long neck uh, giant amphibian. They don't know what it is, but they think that could be what's in the water too. And it's just undiscovered because they haven't caught it yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then uh, also an uh, invertebrate. So in 1968, uh, Ted Holliday proposed that Nessie and other lake monsters such as the morag may be just a large uh, invertebrate such as a bristle worm which it doesn't sound like i want to get in that water <laughs> but according to holiday this explains the land sightings and the the variable back shape um he likened it to the medieval description of dragons as worms although this theory was considered um like less convincing than the eels amphibians or the the pleosaur so, but there's tons of stuff out there and, you know, maybe you can still see it today. So many stories. I mean, if Google Earth can see it. Right. <laughs> Apple Maps. Right. <laughs> Which I, I looked, I, I didn't, I didn't see them there. Mm. But that's fine. But yeah, that is the Loch Ness Monster. So be careful going Nessie. out, going in the lock in Scotland. Nessie. <laughs> that's, that's it's why like, I don't really um, swim in the ocean either. Oh, no, there's things with teeth there that swim way faster than me. <laughs> I love mermaids, but you, you will never, ever see me deep sea diving anywhere. No one saw the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie? Oh, yeah, the sirens. Yeah. They're singing and luring the pirates in. Yeah, yeah. they were mean. But also, like, there's, you know, like a megalodon. There's... <gasps> oh, side note. I took my mom to see that movie, The, oh, Meg. the Meg. Yeah. It was so good. It was so bad and so good. And the dog yeah. lives. Yay. But also Jason Statham. He, he's short. That's okay. I'm short. <laughs> I, I looked up his height and he's like five, like, like five, seven or five, eight or five, nine or something. Wait, he's five, five, hold seven. On, hold on, hold on. No. Jason. Then they make him look really tall. Height. They must hire like. Some- oh, I'm sorry. He's five ten. That's still kind of short. Okay, but that's taller than me, so that's fine. It's my height. I could still climb on him. I mean, you could. I can't. <laughs> but yeah, but there's all these things in the water they have yet to discover, so mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm good about staying out of the water right now. Same. But yeah. Well, the other one that I picked was the Black Shook. Oh, what is this? So the Black Shook was also the inspiration for the character of Sirius Black. The, the the grim oh the omen of death okay mm-hmm. i'm here for this yep okay so <laughs> um for those that don't know it the black shuck has actually been described as a large dog with black mangy fur um they're supposedly larger than normal with some even 
some reports saying that they're as big as a horse. I don't know, but I also haven't seen one, so I can't attest to that. So right. our friends in the UK, because uh, this particular cryptid is native to England, so our friends over yonder, please let us know yes. if you have seen one. Write to us. We would love to know. We'll read your story. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're also described as foaming at the mouth, almost as if they're deranged rabbit or ravenously focused on hunting for their next meal. Ooh. Mm. Sounds dangerous. <laughs> but it also sounds like me when I'm hungry. Yep. <laughs> so I can't really judge. Feed us. Right? <laughs> I hissed at Jared when I have been hungry. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so... Talk a little bit about the origin of the black shuck. So the first known written description of the black shuck in England goes back to the year 1127 in the town of Peterborough. 1127. That's the first documented oh. case of it. Um, and actually witnesses stated that around 20 to 30 of them stayed in the area through Lent all the way to Easter. About oh. 50 days. Um, so there's some some discussion that th- there was a misinterpretation of howling winds as a pack of hunting dogs, um, which I guess would kind of make sense because in England, I did not know this, winds come howling through from the sea. Oh. And so that's how this legend of black hellhounds coming through were reported in nearly a dozen areas. So oh. areas like Suffolk, Norfolk, uh, Cambridge, Yorkshire, Staffordshire, Staffordshire, sorry, friends, Lincolnshire, all of the shires. The shires. <laughs> all of, all the, of the shires. shires. <laughs> <laughs> um, so people interpreted a lot of these howling winds as a pack of dogs, and they were mythologizing their surroundings as a way to warn people to stay indoors. Because obviously wind is not nearly as scary as a pack of gigantic rabid dogs not although if i think like about a rabid peanut i mean peanut's got an underbite so (laughs) she can't even break the skin she could pinch you but that's about it um so according to one description published in 1901 it was said that he meaning the black shook takes the form of a huge black dog and prowls along dark lanes and lonesome field footpaths where although his howling makes the hearer's blood run cold his footfalls make no sound but such an encounter might bring you the worst of all luck it's even said that to meet him is to be warned that your death will occur before the end of the year so you will do well to shut your eyes if you hear him howling shut them even if you are uncertain whether it is the dog fiend or the voice of the wind you hear you may perhaps doubt his existence and like other learned folks tell us that his story is nothing but the old scandinavian myth of the black hound of odin brought to us by the vikings Mm. i know creepy way creepy so yeah that's how uh it was kind of the inspiration for jk rowling to write the Grimm in the third Harry Potter book. That's really cool. Which turned out to be Sirius Black, who was my favorite character. Yes. And then she killed him. I killed Sirius Black. <sighs> my favorite character always dies. It's the worst. <laughs> um, so in addition to that description, um, the most distinctive characteristic of the Black Shuck is that its eyes are described as being red and as big as saucers. Because what fun is a big scary dog if it doesn't have big red exactly. eyes? Exactly. Just the cherry on top of the scary dog cake. 
Um, so furthermore, they were said to appear suddenly and without warning and then disappear as quickly as they'd arrived. And if you did catch a glimpse of one, it's believed to either be a... So here's here's my issue. Uh, you get the two ends of the spectrum. It's mm-hmm. either believed to be a protective spirit or an omen of death. It could be I- a family garden, a guardian watching over you or <laughs> warning everybody of your doom. It's like, how the hell are you supposed to know? I'd rather it be a protected spirit. Can you just, can they come with a sign? I know. Like, (laughs) you're gonna die. (laughs) Or it's okay, I'm here to help you. I mean, like, let's make it obvious, please. I mean, or at least, like, just stay long enough so we can get, like, an actual picture. Right? And Instead of just, like, oh, this is what I saw. Right? And then it disappeared. Yes. Annoying. Stop hiding. Right? <laughs> um, so, of course, the Black Shuck was scary because of more than just its appearance. Um, so, stories of the creature in action reveal the true depths of its terror. So, here's a couple stories of it actually harming humans. Um, so, the most famous story of a Black Shuck appearance was from Reverend Abraham Fleming of Bungay, which is modern-day Suffolk wrote a terrifying account of the attack on a church in 1577 in his essay, A Strange and Terrible Wonder. Mm-hmm. So he describes this black dog or the devil in such a likeness running all along and down the body of the church with great swiftness and incredible haste among the people in a visible form and shape passed between two persons as they were kneeling upon their knees and occupied in prayer as it seemed run the necks of them both in one instant clean backwards in so much that even at the moment when they kneeled they strangely died oh mm-hmm. creepy real creepy i like this one so far it's it's creepy um so as for accounts of more recent sightings one man in 1905 claimed that a black dog turned into a donkey and then vanished a few heartbeats later uh one four-year-old girl during world war ii encountered a large black dog that walked away from her window around her bed made eye contact with those big famous red eyes and then vanished before reaching the door she obviously didn't sleep the rest of that night. I wouldn't. No. <laughs> um, and then another account, uh, a 10-year-old boy wrote in 1974 about an encounter that he had when he was six. Um, he said he saw a black animal with yellow eyes, not red, yellow, galloping toward him at night. After he screamed for his mother, she said it was merely, merely a reflection of a car's headlights from the outside window. The boy read a story about a haunted council house and a black dog spirit. And then he became convinced that his original account of it being a giant black dog was, in fact, the truth. So there have been a lot of other um, sightings, but it's crazy that this legend goes back to 1127. Yeah, that's... Wow. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. That is a lot. That's almost 900 years of... Big scary black dogs. Ooh. It's wow. a lot. It's a lot of scary black dogs. <laughs> oh man. Well. But if I ever did my my one of my dream dogs is a but I would I will never get a dog from a breeder. But one of my dream dogs is a Newfie from <gasps> Newfoundland. I love Newfies. They're so big. You but can, they're so sweet. They're big sweet dogs, although um I sent the listing of of newfies to jared and he just sent back a screenshot with the circled part about them drooling oh yeah um, they, they there's this one at the dog park 
and he comes wearing a bib for his drool mm. and it's really cute but on the bib it says i'm sorry i drool oh it's just so cute sweet baby but i would uh <laughs> i would love to have a new feet and i would name it shook <laughs> that'd be great because why not yep just hope he doesn't have red eyes though no but then you just go and drool all over everybody oh <laughs> Like, well, my mom doesn't like you. I'm gonna drool all over you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't wear your nice stuff here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is the legend of the black shook. Ooh, I like it. Mm-hmm. Well, my next one that I picked was the Yeti. The Yeti. The like, Yeti. Like your Eddie and Betty Yeti. <laughs> yes, I think that's exactly why I picked it. I was just gonna mention that, <laughs> but also because I love the um. And I can never say this word. The abominable snowman. Abominable. I can't say it. Abominable. We're just going to call it the Yeti. Eddie and Betty the Yeti. Yes. Um, But I mean, though the Matterhorn really hurts my back and my butt when I ride it. I enjoy seeing the Yeti in there. Dude, the new Yeti that they got is so scary. And I love that they added um, him like in different parts where he looks like he's behind the ice. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. But anyway, but that's kind of why I picked it because, but, and and also in um, Guardians of the Galaxy, the new ride, they have the old Yeti in there. Oh, do they really? They do. Oh, right, because you, you don't write that right. <laughs> no, I do not. I don't know why I do. <laughs> I have issues with being dropped. Um, Yeah. I, I, have you seen my face on every one of those photos? <laughs> I, yeah. I have big problems with being dropped. I don't even know how I ride that ride. <laughs> I like roller coasters to a certain extent. I'm also getting older and my equilibrium is getting a lot more fussy. Oh, yeah. But I have, after I rode Big Shot on top of the stratosphere in Las Ooh, Vegas. I would never ride that. Nope, nope, nope. Never again. Never again. (laughs) So, yeah, my second one is the Yeti. And I just thought it was really interesting. Um, Definitely also going to condense this one down, too. But um, so in Himalayan folklore, the Yeti is a monstrous creature. Um, The entity would later come, later come to be referred as the abominable snowman look you did it i did it you did so good (laughs) um in western popular culture the name yeti and mete are commonly used yeah i'm just gonna say it slow because i'm gonna murder like every single name in this Mm -hmm. and it's it's fine it's fine i apologize in advance Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but they are commonly used by the people Um, indigenous to the region and are part of their folk beliefs stories of the yeti first emerged as a faucet of the western popular culture in the 19th century the scientific community has generally regarded the yeti as a result of a complex of intricate folk beliefs rather than a large ape-like feature uh, creature feature <laughs> creature feature creature feature <laughs> i i need more coffee like you today um, you want some of mine and yeah yeah you know what break break for coffee break for coffee one second it's important to note it's a sanderson sisters mug mm. and it's delicious coffee nom, 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 oh nom. my god that's good it's pumpkin spice of course it is and it's sf bay huh, sf bay brand mm. 
It's good. Subtle plug because they have compostable K cups that are biodegradable. They do. They don't fill up the landfills with a bunch of nonsense. (laughs) I'm turning into a hippie. Continue. It's okay. I mean, you know where I work, so (laughs) (laughs) I have to be. Um, In Russian folklore, the chuchuna. (laughs) Ooh. Yeah. I'm I'm getting out there with my language today. Um, Is is an entity said to dwell in Siberia. Um, It has been described as six to seven feet tall and covered with dark hair. Uh, According to the native accounts from the nomadic Yakut and Tungus tribes, it is a well-built Neanderthal-like man uh, wearing pelts and bearing a white patch of fur on its forearms. Uh, It is said to occasionally consume human flesh. Yum. And (laughs) It tastes um, like chicken. Yeah, right. (laughs) Or pork. Um, Unlike their close cousins, the Almatis, oh, I, I can't even, yeah, Almastis, there we go. Uh, some witnesses reported seeing a tail on the creature's corpse. Uh, it is described as being roughly, well, okay, anyway, I just repeated myself, I'm sorry. It happens. <laughs> there, there are um, additional tales of a large, uh, bipedal, seldom seen creatures worldwide, the most notable ones being Bigfoot. And then also the abominable snowman. Oh, I said it again. You did so good. Look at you go. It's coffee. It's pumpkin spice. (laughs) Pumpkin spice power. (laughs) (laughs) That needs to be a shirt. Oh. Just saying that. I can make you one. Yay. So, little little backstory. So, in the pre-19th century, um, the Yeti was part of the pre-Buddhist beliefs of several Himalayan people. Um, according to uh, H. Singer, um, he was told by the Lep- the Lepcha people worshipped a glacier being as a god of the hunt. Ooh. Very cool. <laughs> yes, um, it, he also reported that followers of the, the Bon religion once believed that the blood of the mer-god or wild man had use in certain mystical ceremonies. Uh, the being was depicted as an ape-like creature who carries a large stone as a weapon and makes a, a whistling swoosh sound. Swoosh. Yeah, I was like, Does that, is that what that sounds like? Swoosh. <laughs> Um, in the 19th century, we have in uh, 1832, uh, James Princeps Journal of the Asiat- Asiatic Society of Bengal. Look at you go. Look, I'm so good. Damn, I'm telling girl. you, it's that coffee. <laughs> <laughs> he published a trekker B.H. Hodgson's account of his experience in uh, northern Nepal. His local guide spotted a tall bipedal creature covered with long, dark hair, which seemed to flee in fear. Um, Hodgson concluded that it was just an orangutan. Oh. Uh, I was like, oh, but I want to see a Yeti. Right. <laughs> um, in the 20th century, um, basically this, the frequency of reports increased uh, during this time uh, when Westerners began making uh, determined attempts to scale the many mountains in the area and occasionally reported seeing odd creatures or strange tracks. Uh, in 1937, uh, Frank S. Smith, Smythe, Smith, Smythe, <laughs> uh, he had a photograph of the alleged Yeti fit pr- uh, footprints, and this was printed in Popular Science in 1952. Ooh. Yeah. And you can see them. They're pretty big. 
it looks cool. <laughs> um, That's why whenever I describe my shoe size to anybody, mm-hmm. I describe it as size Yeti. You do? Uh-huh. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's why it's all coming together. Yep. All coming together. I guess this is another reason why. I think you just kind of like made me pick the Yeti. <laughs> I've been subliminally telling you for the last 10 years. <laughs> You were going to talk about the Yeti when we get into cryptids. Remember when we first met, we were talking about skate sizes when we played roller derby. (laughs) And you did say size Yeti. Yep. When I asked what your foot size was, because I was like, oh my God, your shoes are so cute. I wish I could wear them. Nobody can wear mine except drag queens. (laughs) But I mean, nothing wrong with that, though. I have bought shoes from drag queen stores before. I I have no shame. Nothing wrong with that. Nope, because. I have a size I'm, 10 and a half to 11 foot. I'm actually really jealous. You know what? Shout out to Europe though, because European brands actually make shoes in my size. <gasps> I'm a 42, mm-hmm. which translates to a 10 and a half, which is perfect. But dumb American shoes only do go from 10 to 11. What? Yeah. It's stupid. Why? Thank you, Europe. I appreciate it. I mean, you. what happened to half sizes? Well, half sizes are only for the beautiful people below size 10. Mm. Us Amazons. Well, don't get them but yes that's why i described my feet as size yeti because of that picture well mm-hmm. i disagree i think there should be shoes for everybody there are that's why i shop at drag queen stores oh well yeah but i mean <laughs> but like all companies should have shoes for everybody yeah get on is what it. i mean even yeti size right Ye- yetis would like to yetis wear shoes want to feel pretty too they want to hide they want to hide their footprints in snow <laughs> With some real fashionable heels. Oh my god, that would be amazing. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> totally getting off topic. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so in um in nineteen fifty one, alleged Yeti footprint found by Michael Ward and it was photographed by Eric Shipton. And this was taken at the Menlung Glacier. And this happened in the 1951 Everest expedition with Edmund Hillary in Nepal. <gasps> Edmund Hillary? Yes. Sir Edmund, okay. Sir have, Edmund I, Hillary. I'm not going to go off on that tangent too, but I've also got problems with Sir Edmund Hillary. Oh, <clears throat> yes. He's mentioned quite a bit in mm. this. <laughs> um, in 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay. Yeah, that's why. Because he totally like... In his account of climbing Everest, he composed... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yes. Ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I don't think I'm going to... But you you could put that into this. But anyway, so he reported seeing large footprints while scaling Mount Everest. Hillary would later de- uh, discount Yeti reports as um, unreliable. Um, in his first um, autobiography, Tenzing said that he believed the Yeti was a large ape. And although he had never seen it himself, his father had seen one twice. But in his second autobiography, he said he had become much more skeptical uh, skeptical about its existence. Oh, in 1954, there um, was an examination of a Yeti scalp. It's pretty gross. Mm. <laughs> well, what they thought <laughs> was a Yeti scalp. But in fact, uh, they said it uh, probably came from an ape. Mm. Yes. But also suggested um, was that they um, the hairs were from the shoulder of a coarse-haired hoofed animal. Mm. Which is interesting because when you look at that footprint, it's a foot foot. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like, it's a big foot. Like a foot with toes. <laughs> Seriously. I said foot foot. I'm sorry. It's foot foot. It's like foot foot. <laughs> this is so great. <laughs> you don't know how much I love every single one of these episodes. <laughs> Just because of our banter. Anyway. <laughs> in in 1960, Sir Edmund Hillary mounted the Silver Hut expedition to the Himalayas, which was to collect and analyze physical evidence of the Yeti. Um, Hillary bar- borrowed a supposed Yeti scalp from the... You bar- wait, wait. Did you say borrowed? <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> he borrowed a supposed Yeti scalp... <laughs> from the Kum Jung Monastery, then himself and Kumjo Chumbi, he was a village headman, uh, brought the scout back to London where a, a small sample was cut off for testing. Uh, Marker Burns uh, made a detailed examination of the sample of the sample of skin and hair from the margin of the alleged Yeti scalp and compared it with similar samples from the the Cerro, the the blue bear and black bear, uh, then Burns concluded that the sample was probably made from the skin of an animal closely resembling the sampled specimen of the the Cerro. So basically, it's more close to this bear and not this you know Neanderthal creature, basically. Uh, then, in oh in the twenty first century. We're moving on. In 2004, Henry G., editor of the journal Nature, mentioned the Yeti as an example of folk belief uh, deserving further study, writing the discovery that uh, uh, Homo forensiensis. Look at that science word. Woo! Because science. <laughs> yes. Survived until so very recently in geological terms makes it more likely that stories of other mythical human-like creatures such as yetis are founded on grains of truth. Ooh. And then we have Disneyland. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and then on uh, July 25th, 2008, the BBC reported that hairs collected in the remote Garrow Hills area of northeast india by deepu merrick had been analyzed at oxford books university in the uk by a uh, primatologist anna nakaris and oh god there's just so many science words oh, I'm just science words. <laughs> and john wells and these initial tests were inconclusive and ape um conservation report uh, expert uh Ian Redmond told BBC that there was similarity between the cuticle pattern of these hairs and specimens collected by by Sir Edmund Hillary uh, during his Him- uh, Himalayan expedition. So basically what they're just saying is it's just a bear. <laughs> a real big bear. It's just a big old bear that is possibly has white fur or possibly just all black fur. But when we see the Yeti, it's all white. So I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, it's black or it's white. I mean, come on. Like, why you gotta be black? But I mean, it's like the the polar opposite ends of the spectrum. Like, yeah. If if somebody would have said, you know, it's white or it's sand colored or it's yellow or I mean, like, you know, something like that, I'm like, okay, it's roughly within the same light colors of the spectrum. But no, it's black. No, it's white. I mean, come on. Yeah, but it's like it's. I'm thinking, okay, if it's maybe people have just thought it was all white because you're in the Himalayas it's snowing 
this creature is probably going to be just covered with a bunch of snow. Maybe that's where they got it. But I don't know. But also, did you know that your hair color has to, well, somewhat is based on um, your ancestry? Like with uh, where oh, you're, yeah. where you descended from. Mm-hmm. So like for me, I come from a very cloudy, overcast environment, or at least my ancestors did. <laughs> so our hair was historically a lot lighter because yep. we needed uh, to be able to absorb vitamin D a lot faster mm-hmm. from the few days of sun. Mm. That's why it's light. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So maybe the Yeti is white because... That's true. It's always snowing. But then they keep saying cloudy. this the scalp that they had had black hair on it. I mean... It's weird. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to go I find know. one. I don't want to. <laughs> Let's go to the Himalayas. I, can we take a helicopter? Y- yeah. Because I am not climbing that. No. I no. mean, I probably wouldn't make it. No, we drove to the top of um, Mauna Kea in Hawaii, which is technically the tallest mountain in the world but most of it's below sea level so it doesn't really count that's why oh, when you see interesting Ev- yeah so that's why when you see everest described it's described as the tallest mountain above sea level mm-hmm. because technically mauna kea is the tallest mountain in the world but most of it's below sea level oh so we went to the top of we took our jeep to the top of that and i walked around for about 15 seconds and almost passed out from Ooh, altitude sickness. that bad Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> anyway. Well, um, and later, uh, a Yeti was reportedly captured in Russia in December 2011. Uh, initially, the story claimed that a hunter uh, reported having seen a bear-like creature trying to kill one, uh, kill one of his sheep. But after he fired his gun, the creature ran into the forest on two legs. Uh, the story then claimed that the Border Patrol so- soldiers captured a hairy two-legged female creature similar to a gorilla that ate meat and vegetation this was later revealed as a hoax or possibly a publicity stunt for charity i don't know why they would want to do that for charity but that's what happened Mm -hmm. (laughs) in april 2019 an indian army uh, mountaineering expedition team claimed to have spotted a mysterious yeti footprints measuring 81 by 38 centimeters near the uh, makalu base camp Mm-hmm. But overall, most of the the mis uh, misidentification of Himalayan wildlife has been proposed as an explanation for some of the Yeti sightings. There's still just a lot of things that they haven't discovered yet, mm-hmm. um, including the the chute, a la- a langur monkey uh, living at lower altitudes. Also, the Tibetan blue bear or the Himalayan brown bear also known as the Himalayan red bear. Mm. Yeah. And then a well-publicized expedition to uh, Bhutan initially reported that a hair sample had been attained, which by DNA, uh, which by DNA analysis by professor Brian Sykes could not be matched to any known animal. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then in 1986, a uh, South uh, Tyrolean mountaineer, Reinhold Messner claimed to have, had a face-to-face encounter with a Yeti. He wrote a book, My Quest for the Yeti. <laughs> and he has claimed to have killed one. Um, according to Messer, the Yeti is actually endangered uh, Himalayan brown bear. Mm. So, in conclusion, <laughs> basically, the, the Yeti is a bear. 
It's a bear. It's an ape. It's black. <laughs> it's white. It's so they're it's just... It's a cryptid. Yeah, basically. We don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, with all of the studies that they've done, there's been so many of trying to, you know, take DNA from certain creatures. But basically, it's just this wonderful Himalayan black or brown bear. Mm-hmm. And that's the Yeti. Delightful. Well, if you have any fun stories to share about any of our cryptids that we've talked about today, please email yes, us. We want to hear stories. Yeah, you can either email us directly. Uh, our email address is thesquadghouls at gmail.com or you can fill out the contact form on our website because we got a website. Yeah. Uh, it is www.thesquadghouls.com. We have a merch store. We got merch. You can also access that from our website. Yeah. We have shirts. We have masks. We have fanny packs. We have dog hoodies. You know you want a dog hoodie? Mm-hmm, for your dog. I do. Yep. It's going to get cold. Yep. Eventually. I mean, not now, but... Not soon, but it will get cold eventually. You will need a hoodie. Yes. For your dog. Because dogs get cold too. Yeah. Please check out our website and mm-hmm. our merch store. Mm-hmm. And follow us on Instagram. Our handle is The Squad Ghouls. Like us on Facebook. And please, please, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. We like it. Yes. We'd love to hear from you. Yes. Creep it real. And we'll scare you later. Goodbye. Bye.